Welcome to What Christians Should Know, hosted by Dr. Elijah Sadoffel. This podcast equips you with clarity and meaningful answers about God, the Bible, and your Christian life. Now, here's Dr. Sadoffel. Today, we'll be talking about anger. Anger is, in fact, a very biblical issue to talk about, cognizant that in the whole canon of Scripture, the words anger, angry, rage, or wrath occur more than 500 times. Anger is also very relevant because it is common. You see anger wherever you see people, regardless if they are Christian or not. What's even more relevant, though, is that anger is dangerous because it can be associated with many evil things that not only harm those nearby, but destroy you as well. Cain, for example, murdered his brother Abel out of anger, Genesis 4, 5-8. The result is that Cain bore a curse for the rest of his life. Anger is associated with wrath, bitterness, and slander, Ephesians 4.31. It is also connected with works of the flesh, Galatians 5.19-21. Works of the flesh are sinful and are not pleasing to God. It therefore behooves all Christians to have a proper understanding of anger and how to not express the emotion in sinful ways. Accordingly, in this episode, I will do a brief exposition of Ephesians 4.26. In doing so, I hope to equip you with an informed understanding of what anger is, how it is sinfully expressed, and then provide three concrete strategies on how to not be angry. So what is anger? A loose definition is that it is your subjective heart response to a negative judgment against a perceived evil. That being said, you do not need me to go into a deep analysis of what anger is because the likelihood is that you have exhibited anger or have been the recipient of someone else's rage. These experiences tend to be unpleasant for everyone. Perhaps you are someone who, at the flip of a switch, goes from zero to a hundred over something seemingly benign. Your wrath is so fierce that everything around you is consumed. Your spouse, your children, and even the dogs run and hide to get away from you when you become unhinged. Or perhaps you are a person who does not externalize anger, but you internalize it. While externalization seeks to destroy others, internalization seeks to destroy you. Whichever option you choose, both do more harm than good. When you internalize anger, you take it all in and it festers. You look back and rehearse old grievances. Subsequently, anger simmers. It slowly burns into a boil of bitterness, resentment, and contempt. How those around you react is with avoidance. What results overall is a fracturing of relationships and you end up alone. Here's a probing question that you must now ask yourself. It's a question that I had to honestly ask myself and wrestle with before writing this episode. The question is, do people around you feel intimidated by you? Do people feel as if you are not safe to be around when they fail? If your answer to either of these questions is yes, then you probably live in the sin of anger. Here's another thought to ponder. If you are not a safe person to go to when someone else fails, know that your Heavenly Father is. 
Consider that if God dealt with us as harshly as we angrily deal with other people, we would have been wiped out a long, long time ago. The good news is that human anger is not out of reach of God's grace, and by His transformative power, He can deliver anyone out of the darkness of sinful anger and into the light of righteous peace. We now look to the scriptures to secure guidance on how to not be angry. We draw near to the Word of God with confidence because in Ephesians 4.31, God has promised that He will show us how to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from us along with all malice. So our theme verse comes from Ephesians 4.26. Before I read the text, let us make sure we are aware of the context. In chapter 4, verses 17 to 31, the Apostle Paul talks about the Christian's walk. That is, because of what God has done for us through Christ, we are now a redeemed people united to Christ and one in spirit united to one another. This means who we are and how we relate interpersonally is radically different because of what Jesus has done for us. Hence, it is in the middle of these verses that we find our theme verse. So Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. What this verse begins by saying is, Be angry. This verb is a present imperative, meaning this is an apostolic command. In fact, in verse 26, the Apostle Paul is giving us two commands. The first is, be angry, and the second is, do not sin. However, this first command is curious because, in light of everything we've already talked about, why would the Apostle command us to be angry? Well, let's take a closer look at the text. The word that is translated be angry is the Greek verb orgizo. The noun is orge. The use of this word is interesting because there are two words for anger in Greek. One is orge, the word used here in Ephesians 4.26. The other word for anger is thumos. Thumos refers to a sudden outburst from inward indignation. Thumos is used frequently in Revelation in reference to the outpouring of God's wrath. So, when you think of a person having an explosive outburst, that's thumos. But remember, Paul does not use the verbal form of thumos here in Ephesians 4.26. He is certainly not telling individuals to have sudden outbursts of wrath. The word he does use, orgizo, refers to a settled opposition against something which rises slowly. So while thumos explodes like a volcano, orge comes to a slow boil. In the Bible overall, orge is one of the strongest human passions in that it affects the whole person. For example, anger affects us physically with tense muscles, it affects us psychologically in that it consumes us, and it affects us biologically with an increase in adrenaline. Yet, orge is in fact depicted in a positive sense when it is inspired by God. That is, when someone has a settled disposition against evil. This makes sense because if you love the light, you will hate the darkness as the darkness is anathema. It is therefore not sinful to have orge against that which is evil, against that which stands against God's righteous truth. 
But look at what the full text says. Be angry and yet do not sin. This tells us what? That merely being angry is not necessarily sinful. This brings me to my first point. How to not be angry, point number one. Recognize that not all anger is sinful. What is sinful is how that anger is expressed. What makes anger sinful is what a person does with that emotion. Hence, be angry and do not sin. There is such a thing as non-sinful righteous anger. Righteous anger can actually be productive and stimulating as to inspire action against evil. In fact, if you've ever been angry, then you know anger is a powerful motivating force. Anger is actually proper and useful when it is used in a manner that is consistent with how the scriptures tell us. Yet, righteous anger is clear of bitterness, spite, malice, and all similar evil feelings. Take note that even Jesus himself was angry. In Mark chapter 3 verse 5, the text says Jesus looked around at the crowd with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. See also Exodus 11.8, 33.24, and Nehemiah 5 verses 1 to 7. What the Apostle Paul further does in Ephesians 4.26 is safeguard righteous anger by warning us to not let the sun go down on our anger. Meaning what? Don't brood over it and don't stimulate it. Don't cultivate wrath by nurturing it. Just as God's mercies are fresh and new every morning, we also freely forgive those whom we are angry at, leaving room for nothing to fester. People who do keep their wrath warm by feeding it suddenly find themselves unable to contain it. The result is a sudden outburst which seeks to destroy. This is sin because this type of anger takes matters into its own hands and wants to take vengeance for God. The Lord is crystal clear that vengeance is His, so we ought not to try and supplant the King. See Deuteronomy 32.35 and Romans 12.19. Hence, in contrast to righteous anger, sinful anger is not inspired by God, but is inspired by the flesh. Sinful anger focuses on destroying the person rather than having a settled opposition against the moral content of the offense or the perceived evil. This leads to the second point. 2. Anger is a subjective response, not an objective reality. Therefore, by God's grace, you can control how you respond. When the modern person thinks of an outburst of anger, they tend to think of someone losing control and lashing out at the world around them. Yet the irony is, people only tend to get angry when it is safe to do so. By safe, I mean getting angry in environments where there are minimal consequences. So, the same man who will get into a glass-smashing rage at home will not tend to do the same at work. Why? Because it's not safe. Those who are not family will not hesitate to call the police, and his boss will not hesitate to fire him. The point is that at its most basic level, the sinful expression of anger is a choice. Yes, it is a sinful choice, but it is a choice nonetheless. We thus do have control over how we respond. 
The hope that God subsequently gives us is that by the renewing of our minds, we can begin to choose differently by unlearning how we have learned to respond and getting a biblical education on how God has called us to respond. The hope that God gives us is that by His grace, how we live our future can be radically different than how we have lived our past. What I said at the top is that anger is a heart issue. It is a subjective response of the whole person to an adverse judgment against an alleged evil. So, at the end of the day, we choose anger because no one else causes us to be angry other than ourselves. Psalm 37.8 includes the command to cease from anger because the emotion is not a reflex, nor is it passive. It is an active, willful choice that is within our limits of control. Imagine two parents and a child in a room. The toddler throws a glass container of blueberries on the ground, causing a loud crash and shatter. Mom's response is one of grace. She hurries to remove the toddler away from the shards so the little one does not get hurt. She is not angry. The dad, however, is livid. His initial response is to begin yelling, screaming, and to discipline the child. Here, we have the same objective reality, but divergent responses from two different people. Why? Because the mother chose not to respond in anger, and the father did. The point is that anger is a subjective response, not an objective reality. Here then lies the question, if anger is subjective, then what causes some people to respond in sinful anger? The answer is, the primary cause of sinful anger is our own sinful desires. See Psalm 51.5, Colossians 3.8-10, and Ephesians 2.3. We respond to reality based on desire, based on what we want. You see, most people get angry because they think they are owed something. They often tell themselves something like, I have a right to this, whether this is respect, things, or a worldview. So when that presupposed right is somehow violated, the result is anger. Ever see an angry mob causing havoc on TV? Their anger is very real because they have experienced a very real threat to what, in their heart, is a very real right. Thus, if you spend some time contemplating or ask your spouse, you can identify all those non-negotiables that you consider your rights. When you identify those, you can probably identify what you get angry about. Subsequently, as the anger boils in the heart and moves outward, the fire tends to be ignited by pride, its path is well carved out because it is a habituated response, and what fails to hold the anger from being released is a lack of self-control. See Proverbs 13.10, 22.24, and 25.28. Because anger is an individual subjective response, we can never trust ourselves to never get angry. But the one whom we can trust is God. When dealing with anger, a central question to ask is this, do you trust God? Do you trust that God is sovereign or do you feel the need to take things into your own hands? When you consider reacting in anger to something, do you seek for those around you to fear the Lord, or do you want them to fear you instead? We can trust God because only when the Lord expresses anger, it is never sinful and always righteous. This is why vengeance is never mine, it is thine, O Lord. 
And when speaking about the things we have a right to consider, who has more of a right to be angry, the holy God over your sin or you over whatever it is you are angry about? Be mindful of ever asking God for what you deserve because the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 How does God respond to the sin of his elect? By a vengeful rage or by gracious forgiveness? Let us all follow God's example and not do what we simply want to do. So point number two is that anger is a subjective response, not an objective reality. Therefore, by God's grace, you can control how you respond. This then begs the question, what are the specific means of grace God has provided so that we do not respond in anger? This leads to the third point, which I must admit is a little wordy. Three, don't battle anger by yourself your own way, especially if you're prone to anger. Instead, battle anger God's way by God's grace. Repent of sinful anger, ask for God's forgiveness, and pray for Him to change your heart. By far, this step is the least theoretical and the most practical. When battling anger God's way, repenting of sinful anger by necessity means knowing that anger can be sinful. It also means knowing that you sinned. But what is your specific sin? Investigate the cause. What right did you idolize that took the place of obedience? The next time you get angry, ask yourself, what am I really angry about? What is it that I want so bad that I explode when I don't get it? Accordingly, when you identify what you were thinking, ask yourself, what should I be thinking? Has God called me to respond this way or another way? Oftentimes, the immediate object of your anger does not reflect the real reason why you are angry, so it helps to identify the root cause. Next, repent of sinful anger. This also involves confessing the sins of past anger. This means going to God in prayer and confessing that ultimately you have sinned against a holy God. It also means going to those against whom you express sinful anger, repenting and asking for their forgiveness. Note that repenting and asking for forgiveness never ever means saying I'm sorry, which is cheap. Saying I'm sorry is selfish because I merely express how I feel. It has nothing to do with sin against God or another person. After repentance, ask for the Lord's forgiveness and ask for Him to help you. God never rejects those who sincerely seek Him with a broken and contrite heart. To those who seek their Heavenly Father by faith, He will never turn His child away. Is repenting and asking for forgiveness hard? Of course it is. Do you actually want to stay angry? Maybe so. That is why you ask God to help you and ask God to change your heart. If you are living in the sin of anger, you can't change yourself with an angry heart. Only God is the heart transformation specialist. No genuine believer ever has to make the change in their own strength because as you prayerfully seek the guidance of God in His Word, the Spirit of God will transform you and enable you to change. And if you know you live in sinful anger but don't want to change, that's a good start because at least you're being honest. This is when you go to the Lord and say, Have mercy on me, O Lord, and warm my cold, stony heart. 
put off anger and prideful thoughts by putting on loving and humble thoughts. Reflect on the majesty of God and ask, has God dealt with me in the same way that I angrily deal with other people? Did God have a right to be furious with me over my sin? Of course he did. But how did God respond? In wrath? No. Out of love, he sent his son to die on a cross for your salvation. Sinful anger tends to attack people. Righteous anger tends to attack problems. Here's what I mean. At the top of the episode, I talked about the example of a man who goes on a frenzy, smashing things at home. Why was he doing that? Because he was actually angry at his boss for criticizing him. But did the man address the substance of the critique? He didn't. Did he speak to his boss? He didn't. He moved away from and around the problem and went on the attack in a place where everyone's hands were clean, in his own home. Will this type of avoid the problem behavior solve anything? Absolutely not. Human beings are funny creatures and what we, what I, tend to do is avoid the real problem and attack other things around the problem, which does what? Address everything except the root cause. The irony is, many times the problem is me, and I get mad at the truth that I'm the problem. But to avoid the real issue, I attack others instead. Can angry people actually be angry at themselves? You bet. It just hurts far less to destroy someone else. Ultimately, sinful anger is just another expression of fallen man. People are broken, which is why we all need a Savior to redeem us and the Holy Spirit to transform us. So, if you live with the sin of anger, stop trying to do it any other way. Do it God's way, because His way never fails and always begets lasting, permanent change. When God gives us a command, He also promises, by His grace, to empower us to live that command. So as Paul writes in Ephesians 4.26, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more valuable resources, including a bookstore and online Bible study, visit wcsk.org.